Good morning. This is my toolbox. Pam bought me this toolbox with the tools inside in 1976. In all those years, I've recognized this one thing. I'm not really good at this. My first project with the tools in this box, and I've, and I've shared this at other times, was to put a peephole in a solid core door in our first house. Now the drill bit didn't go all the way through the door with just one pass, so I had to go from both sides. I had to measure precisely. I'm not really good at this. So I was really thrilled when I looked through and I could see daylight all the way through. I said, I can do this. I put the peephole in and unfortunately I had, had not drilled straight and so there was a little ridge on the inside where they had met and so I thought, well, the easiest way to get that peephole through there is just go ahead and hit it with a hammer. So I did. And I cracked the door from the peephole all the way down. After letting out a primal scream and seeing how far I could actually throw the hammer, <laughs> Pam said, what are you going? What's going on? I said, well, honey, I've just invented a better peephole. You don't get the smudgy little face. You get the entire profile. Look at that. That's just, that's just incredible. I say, it's, it's just, it's, I'm just not good at that. I'm just, it's not my nature. You know, I probably could be good at this if in all of these 35, 36 years, I would have asked somebody to show me how to use these and teach me. But I found that it was easier to ask somebody else to come just fix my stuff. And that way I wouldn't be embarrassed with my ineptitude. The church is like that. You see, it was, it was on the, the day of Pentecost after Jesus rose from the grave that he said, here, I give you the church. And I give you the tools inside the church so that you can fix life. But we discover through the years that sometimes we're not really good at, at doing the fixing of our life stuff. And we probably, we probably could be good at this if we had asked some people how to, how to teach us how to use these tools that are in the church. But it's just a lot easier to ask somebody else to come just fix our stuff, to fix our life. And then we're not embarrassed at our ineptitudes. There is this NBC comedy. It's called Community. And it features a group of people and a community college that gather together in a small group, in a study group. And, and the, reality of the, the, top, the, the, the reality of the program is this, that, that a certain man named Jeff decided he wanted the small group so that he could romantically pursue one of the people in the group named Britta, who was a former anarchist and now trying to get her life together. And soon you discover in the program all these people need to be fixed. In that group is also Pierce, who is a millionaire on a late-in-life journey to find himself. You also find Annie, who is a young straight-laced student and a former prescription drug addict. You find Troy, a former high school quarterback, now become a nerd. And Shirley, a single mom and a vocal Christian who's in college just to jumpstart her brownie business. And then Abed, who is a pop culture-obsessed film student, and they're all part of this community. And they've got to be fixed. And to be honest, if you'd wander through here this morning, you'd find a bunch of people who need to be fixed. You more than likely will find some people who are wealthy, but they are still not content and they don't know why. You're going to find some straight-laced moms 
who have some secret addictions. You're, you're going to find quarterbacks and jocks and nerds who are trying to find identity. You're going to find some guys who came here this morning just to check out the ladies. That's why they're here. And there's probably plenty of us in this place that in our heads we're saying, if only you knew. And so we've come and we, we, we want to be fixed and we heard that the church can fix us. But there are some of those who will go from community of faith to community of faith to community of faith and be angry at the community of faith because they didn't fix them. So how does this whole thing work? Well, it starts with understanding this, that the brokenness inside of us, the stuff that needs to be fixed, comes from an ungodlike DNA that just, has just happened to us. And it makes us implode on ourselves by just wrong choices and explode on each other because of self-focused decisions. And it just seems to grow inside of us, and we're trying to stop it. We can't stop it. We say, how do we, how do we fix this? And so the amazing thing is that God puts on skin, he comes down to our earth and takes our DNA on himself, and it kills him. But because he is God and man, he is powerful enough to rise up, and he says to us, the very power that lifted me from the grave, that resurrection power, is what I give you to be able to get fixed. It's the same thing that, that Paul was talking about when he wrote to his friends, the church in the city of Ephesus, and he said this in Ephesians 1, verse 16. I have not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand with confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness, now catch this, of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Now catch this, that which raised Jesus from the dead. He said, I want you to understand you've got that. And seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand. In the heavenly realms, now he is far above any other ruler, authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of who? The church. And the church is what? His body. It is made what? Full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. He said, now look, I created the church and in the church I put myself and I put myself in total fullness so everything you need to be fixed is there in the church then why aren't we? I've told quite a few people that this week, out of the 17 or so, more than 17 years that I have been here at Erie serving you, this week was the most amazing week when it came to the flooding of people with personal pain and incredible issues. It just would not stop. Friday morning before 8 o'clock, I got hit with three things. And in fact, if somebody in the office would have heard, been close enough, they'd have heard me. I finally, after the, after the third thing, I just put down my stuff and I just, honestly, I just did something very spiritual. I went, ah, what is this? It just wouldn't stop. And as I have reflected back on that, sorry, <laughs> I apologize. But I cried just like that, so. 
the majority of those issues, and, and, I, and please don't ever stop calling and, and saying, please talk to me, because you'll see what, what I mean by, in a few moments. We, we need to know those things in each other's lives. But here's the issue. For the majority of those issues, the lack of progress and power stem from a refusal to function as designed. See, the tools are here. But we just want someone to come fix us so that we can continue to be what we've always been. After Jesus rose from the grave, he told his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for a promise that God had for them. So they did. And on the day of Pentecost, in this feast of Pentecost, as they are in this room, there's 120 of them, and they've been talking, they've been conducting business, and they've been praying. And suddenly they hear this sound like a tornado rushing through the, through the room. And they recognize that from the Old Testament scriptures that this is, this is the ruach. This is the wind. This is the spirit of God. There is no doubt in their mind that there's a supernatural happening in that room at that moment. And then they see these, these fire things on top of people's heads. And they know that is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And then they begin to speak in tongues. They begin to speak in languages they have not naturally acquired so that they are so loud and they break out into the open that all of the people from all the nations that have come to worship at this Feast of Pentecost hear their own language coming from these people who never knew that naturally. And they hear them praising God and adoring him. They say, what's going on? He's got to be drunk. And, And Peter says, no, 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 it's just nine in the morning. They're not drunk. This is the promise that the prophet Joel said would happen, that he would pour his spirit upon all flesh. It is a gift given to you by the Messiah, Jesus, whom you crucified, who died and rose again and sits at the right hand of God in authority. And they said, how do we get in on this? He said, I want you to repent, which means that you have a profound and fundamental 180-degree turn and a total submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized. The baptism is the symbolic act of taking you into the water like they take a piece of cloth into the dye, and when you come up, you have a new identity. You're not the same person you were before, and it also is now your acceptance, your invitation, and your acceptance into the community of faith. And at that moment, 3,000 imperfect dysfunctional rookie followers of, followers of Jesus enter into community, and it works. They thrive because the church functioned as it was designed. And Luke, a follower of Jesus, then describes exactly what that looked like. And he says this in Acts, the second chapter. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with many was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If we are truly followers of Jesus, if we want to have this fixing of our lives, then we must function as the church was designed to function and the tools are here. 
And so Luke says, here's what happened first. They said they got tenacious in their Jesus life learning. Not just life learning, and maybe you want to write in your notes, just the Jesus life learning. How many of you ever sat in an exit row on an airplane? Ever do that? Sit in an exit row? And so just before you take off, they come to you and and they'll say, okay, you're in the exit row, and so, well, if, if we have an accident or something happens, will you be ready to assist, and can you, can you take orders, and can you, can you throw the thing out the window, and can, can you do all that stuff? And you say, yeah, and then they say this, read the placard. I don't read the placard. I can figure it out. It's got little signs there. I don't read the placard. I'm reading my USA Today. Don't bother me. I've got leg room. I'm stretched. I've even got my headset in. I'm, just, I'm, I'm gone. I'm I'm ready. So I'm in this plane, and we're flying in, into a, a city south of here, and, and we're coming down. We're on the flight path. We are just, we are, we're on time, and things are just great, and I'm all buckled up, and we're coming down, and as we get close to the runway, suddenly the pilot hits those engines, and they thrust, and he takes off, and it's some kind of a, of, of a maneuver and gets us out of the way. He comes on and says, I want to apologize, didn't mean to panic you, but, but there's somebody on our runway. We about collided. At that moment, I read the placard. <laughs> the first followers of Jesus understood that the apostles' doctrine wasn't to grab at the moment of crisis. It was to study and live so that you're ready for crisis. And there's a big difference. No temptation, the apostles' doctrine says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with that escape, or with that temptation, he'll provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. He said, you have this apostles' doctrine. You take that in, and it prepares you for what you are about to face. See, I, I have people who call me or talk to me, the musician that I am and the other pastors and, and elders and some of you that they're in leadership, and people will call you and they'll say, I'm in a crisis. And at that moment, I'm compassionate for the crisis, but here's what I'm thinking. Your crisis is exactly what we dealt with for the last four weeks on Sunday morning. Where were you? Your crisis is what this class just dealt with this last semester. Where were you? This is, this is what they're dealing with in the small group they invited you to be part of. Where were you? There's so much stuff around you that you could have studied. Where were you? Where's the deal? And the response is, well, but just, I just, come, just come fix it. Don't teach me how to deal with it. Just come fix it. It's what the apostles would say when they would write and they'd say, at this point, you should be eating meat. You should understand these tools and be using them. But instead, you're still nursing at your mother's breast, and you're 75 years old. What's the problem with you? You should now not only be using this stuff, you should be teaching this stuff. You see, so many of us want Jesus on retainer. Oh, okay, I need you now, over here now, instead of Jesus as the reframer who takes us and says, here, look at life different. Here's how you live a resurrection life. This is how you live this life. Because the apostles' doctrine was simply this. It was a compilation of the words of Jesus, his story of him coming here, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and how to live a resurrection life. And it says they were devoted to it. 
when I was in high school, we had this drill. I played tight end, and one of the things we would do is we had this tackling dummy about this size. And the coach would stand behind it, and then he would make us hit it and run through it. And he would say things to us that weren't nice. But we'd get going, and we'd have to hit that thing. Keep those feet moving. Keep those feet moving. Keep those feet moving. Drive through, drive through, drive through, drive through. That's the word devoted. To, to go at something with great force and drive through it. They were devoted to understand the teachings of Jesus, and they kept driving and driving and driving and driving and would not give up. That is why when the apostle Peter has been arrested and he's placed in prison and he's shackled between two guards and there's guards outside his cell and guards further out and he's in the belly, if you will, of the prison and an angel's going to come because of the prayers and lead him out, but he doesn't know that at that moment. And you know what you find him doing? Sleeping. Because he is so at peace. Because he has taken that apostle's doctrine, the life of Jesus, and he's been living it so that he knows that he can, can rest in the lordship of Jesus no matter what he faces. And he's not saying, oh, send me a verse, send me a verse. And, and I appreciate those Bibles that say, okay, if you're in a crisis, turn here and it'll tell you what scriptures. But in honesty, we should already be there, already waiting for that moment. So I, I know this about me, that when I'm anxious, when I'm angry, when I'm not at peace, it is because there's part of the teachings of Jesus, the apostles' doctrine, that I don't have in my heart well enough to apply it to the situation that I face. And I need to do that. It's got to take place in us. And then let me tell you why. Because, because we're under spiritual attack. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, then it's this anti-Jesus, the anti-Christ, the spirit of that which attacks you. So we had something very interesting happen here last Friday at about 5.30. Pastors were gone, and, and somebody snapped a picture of this. And let me just show you the picture. We have that. That's out by our playground, and those are two Muslims and a woman behind them on their prayer cloths praying on our property. So let me tell you why that concerns me. First of all, not because I feel like they're a physical threat. I don't. And we're not sure why they are praying. If they're praying blessings on us, that would be nice. But, but here's the deal. In, in, the, in the religion of Islam, those who follow the religion of Islam believe that Allah is the same God that Abraham also worshipped. But they also then deny that Jesus Christ has any divinity. Therefore, he didn't die, he didn't rise again, and that when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, when they said in the book of Acts that there's no other name by which you can be saved, none of that holds true, and Jesus is not Lord. Now, this morning in this worship service, did you notice our theme all the way through? And I appreciate John leading because I didn't tell him what my sermon was. He didn't see my notes, but he understood Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Now, if there's a spiritual force out there that wants to, and especially if, if these folks are praying blessing, that was nice, but if they're praying that Islam takes over this area, then I have to stand against that because Islam says that Jesus is not Lord, and Jesus said, oh, but I am. 
And so, so here's what we've got going for us here. And I wish we'd, I'd have known they were there. I'd love to have talked to them and say, what's your intention? What are you doing? And, and because I don't hate anybody who has a different religion. I just hate the spirit behind anything that says that Jesus is not real. And so if there's a spirit that is pushing against us, understand he's not only pushing against this, this area, he's pushing against you. Because you are the church. And that spirit wants to destroy your family. And if he can get you doubting that Jesus can help you in your circumstance, then you become weak. Then you begin to fall apart. Then you doubt God. And so we've been praying yesterday and today saying, Lord, we declare once again that this place is dedicated to you and that you are Lord and you are Lord of your people. So I tell you that as your shepherd who watches out for predators to tell you that life is more than you just showing up on Sunday morning saying, I've been to church. Life is the fact that there's a spiritual force wanting to destroy you and your family. And if you are not immersed in the teachings of Jesus, you have no way to defend yourself. And the church is here for you so that you can learn the tools to use. So if you're not in a class learning those things, why not? If you're not being mentored, why not? If you are not in a small group discussing these things, why not? Because the body of Christ is made to do that. The community is made to do that. And if you stand alone without those understandings and those tools, you are a prime candidate for abduction by that spirit. I just want to tell you, when you look at those, those classes that you say, oh, this Sunday morning, that'd be a kind of a fun class, but I'd rather sleep in. Don't do it. There's a small group, but if I, if I do the small group, I have to give up something else. Then give up to something else because that league you want to get into will not save your family, but knowing the teachings of Jesus will. I cannot emphasize that enough. We are a weakened condition in, in the church in America because we don't use the tools that God provided in his church. And above all, it is that apostle's doctrine that is so, so important. See, Saul of Tarsus killed Christians. Then he has this, this encounter with Jesus, and he starts on this, this spiritual journey of knowing Jesus, and, and he struggles with it. And so Barnabas, one of the followers of Jesus, goes and finds Saul, who they now name Paul, the apostle Paul. And he says, come walk with me and I'll introduce you to my friends. Now, who are his friends? The friends are the ones who show up every day in Solomon's colonnade in the temple to worship God and to talk about Jesus every day. And then they go home and they go to their homes, not by themselves, but they open up their homes and they have a meal together. And, and in that meal together, they, they also talk about who Jesus is. And they talk about how to apply what they've studied. They talk about who they are, and they open up their lives. They share a meal. They pray together. They actually have, it said they, they, they came together with sincerity, which means they get honest with each other. And they have this great happiness, this joy in Jesus. And when they gather together... They have to put out more plates because more people are showing up because more people say, ooh, I like that, I like that, I like that. See, when these people came together, it became so obvious that on the outside, people were saying, oh, those people, they are the fellowship. 
Oh, those people meet over there, they're the fellowship. See those people sharing their stuff? Oh, that's the fellowship. The word is koinonia. It means to share. They were the sharers of life with each other and the share of the goods. They say, oh, you need food? Here's food. I'll sell this property and you can, you can have this and you can buy a cloak and, and, and here's the stuff. They were devoted to the sharers, to the opening up of their lives to each other. Every once in a while, I'll grieve a family that leaves this community of faith. And, and sometimes what they will say upon their departure to other people is, they didn't care for me. They didn't care the way I needed to be cared for. And the truth of the matter is this. The reality is that they don't understand the fellowship because there's a difference between being in the movement and being a blessing-on-demand consumer. Because what would happen is this. They would have a pain, and they would say, somebody come fix me. And, and so someone would come and start to fix them, and they'd say, that's good enough, and they would close back up. Because they wanted to be private, just deal with that, and then it will be okay. And then when it hurt again, they'd say, oh, come, come heal me, and they'd close it back up. And it became their identity. And it's the way they got the attention and the affection that they wanted. But they never stayed wide open as they did in the New Testament and said, okay, here I am. Here I am in, in all my honesty. Walk me through this thing. Talk to me. Encourage me. Keep me accountable. Pray for me. Let's walk through this till I'm healed up. And then also in the same time, I will give you what I've got and I'll heal you up. But instead what we get is, come heal me, I'm closed up. Okay, come heal me, I'm closed up. Come heal me, I'm closed up. And the rhythm continues until people grow tired of the same pattern. And when they don't get the same response, they go, see, nobody cares. And they wander off. Within the body of Christ, within this community of faith, they opened up to discuss their teachings. They opened up their dating life. So the group looked around and said, hey, that looks like a healthy relationship. What can we do to help you? And other times they go, oh, you two, you don't go there. They, they shared the economy. They said, I'm really struggling where I've lost my job. And they said, well, let's help you find a job. Let's help you with, with what you need while you look for a job. Hey, we're having trouble in our marriage. Well, let's talk you through that thing. If we are going to make it through these next years with the intensity of an antichrist spirit, we've got to learn that we've got to be more than a Sunday morning group that stares at each other's heads during worship. You've got to get in a small group. You've got to find a ministry group. You've got to find a, a community family that opens up and, and you talk through life together and get honest with each other because it is your protection. Dr. Tom Matter, join me on the platform if you will. Dr. Tom and Cindy and their family have been part of this church for a long time, and Tom is a marriage and family therapist and also been a university professor, and God's taken you on a different assignment that's kept you out of, out of Erie once in a while for a length of time. And we were talking the other day, and you talked about what it means to have community for you, knowing that you're leaving your family around here. Talk about that. Well, to create a little bit more of a context for that, a couple of years ago, my career kind of took a different direction and the Lord uh, took me out of this uh, college that I was teaching and created an opportunity to go to military bases and actual, uh, actually counsel the um, military service members, their families, their children. Um, and actually I've been going places that I would have never imagined. I'm not a traveler, I'm a reluctant traveler. But I've been to England and Germany, and I'm going to the Middle East next month to, to do this. 
And um, if you know me at all, you know that there's only one thing in my life other than my love for the Lord that is important to me. And that is my wife and my children. And it pains me to be away. And I pulled Jack aside um, at uh, Joel and Nicole's ordination uh, ceremony, which was like being with family to be there as well. But I pulled him aside and I said, Jack, I just wanted to thank you. I know that the church is looking out for my own when I can't be there. I know that he has spoken as well as other staff into the life of my boys and my wife, even though I'm not here. I'll, and I know there are congregation members here that reach out and support them, and I'm not there. And I want to thank you. I did not expect that I would be at this particular place. It's given me a real appreciation for the disciples and how they must have had to have left their families and were gone for months at a time. Um, I, I, I was not expecting this. But I feel like this church has my back. I know that sounds real street, street. I'm a, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So you were always checking and you had friends that kind of kept an eye on things for you. But I do feel like this church has my back and I want to thank the staff and I want to thank each and every one that is here. And I want to encourage you. We've been members a long time. We've been here uh, 21 years, not as long as the Cafardis, but we've been here for a while. I've never had this experience before where I so appreciated knowing this is my home. This is my home church. You guys are in my corner looking out for my own. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. For you that are the type of people that have to have everything in line and in a row, the last, the last item on your notes so that you won't go crazy, is temple form your home, which just simply means this. You open up your house as they did then for the prayer, for the food. Because here's what's happened. In the New Testament, in that first church with these tools, they met every day for what we would consider a Sunday morning service. Every day. Then they met every evening in small group in their homes. And as time has progressed, we've said, well, we don't need the every night in the homes. And then we took the Sunday mornings and we, uh, these, these, these Solomon colonnades and put it on Sunday mornings so that the only thing we're doing that they did was one time, one time, do we gather together at Solomon's colonnade and the rest of the time, if we even get in somebody's home, it's because we just don't have anything else to do. Would you please start opening your home to each other and just say, come, be with us, let's pray together. Somebody called me the other day and said, we're having a crisis. I said, have you called people to your house to pray? I said, no, well, why aren't you? Said, just don't call the pastor, we're praying, but get your friends, get the people with you that'll walk with you, get them there and pray over this thing because it does make a difference. I want you to meet Masayuki Konishi, 
Masa, as they call him, is Japanese, and his family tree raised him as a Buddhist. About the time Masa was, was going to leave for the United States because he wanted to come over to Edmonds College in Seattle to, to get an education, he went in to, to the doctor to, to be looked at for an injury he sustained while snowboarding. And while there, they discovered that he had polycystic kidney disease, which is PKD, which is hereditary and incurable. His family said, it's a tragedy, but just go ahead and continue with life the best you can. So he came over to Edmonds College, and while he was there, he made friends, and, and he found some followers of Jesus, and he was really intrigued with them. And so they started taking him to the, the community gatherings where they would have a meal together and where they would talk about Jesus and where they would pray with each other and where they just seemed happy about Jesus. And in some of the teachings, he heard about this God who's so powerful that he could take you through anything. And he said, well, could this God take me through what I'm going through now? And he said, yeah. He said, okay, I'm putting my faith in this Jesus because I need help. And, and so he joined the community of faith and began walking with Jesus. This last January, Masa's kidneys began to fail. The church locally prayed for him, and then somebody put it on Facebook, and it was called Pray for Masa, and there were about 1,500 people saying, we're praying for you every day. Community. On January 1st of this, this last January, Masa suffered a brain hemorrhage and went unconscious. On the 7th, at age 27, he entered into what we would call this community of Jesus in a different place where there is no restriction of pain or sorrow with Jesus personally. And it's interesting, a year ago, he gave a secret as to what was sustaining him. He said this. He said, the Bible says that overwhelming joy and hope lie ahead beyond current pain and sufferings. Where did he get that apostle's doctrine? He knew. But it just wasn't that. He also made this statement. It is very important to have a community to be in. You can't live by yourself. It is a great thing to have people to share with and pray for you. You see, it was the apostles' doctrine and community opening up to each, to, to each other and, and, and sharing that sustained him and made him strong. So here's the toolbox, the church. Tools are there. Are you running forcefully towards those teachings? Are you opening your life and embracing each other and walking together? And are you opening your home and saying, come and be part? Because what will happen is you'll have to put more plates out because God will add daily to his church those who are being saved. And that's community. Would you stand? So now may you sense the fullness and understand the power of the Holy Spirit. May he strengthen you and guide you today. May you open your heart and your life and find in doing so that you have entered into community that is more powerful and stronger than you ever deemed possible. And may you find in your sharing that people's lives are changed. And as we travel in this perfect community that God is creating, may we find others being added as they discover this Jesus who died and rose again and sits now at the right hand of the Father. It is in that name we pray, in that name you are blessed. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.